Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives when his disciples came to him and asked him, What will be the sign of your coming? And instead of a date or an exact checklist, Jesus gave them a description of the future that was to come. He gave them warnings to heed about the temptations his people would face, and he gave them examples to follow to teach them how they should wait. He taught them that the Son of Man will arrive unexpectedly, that he will return in surprising glory at a time that nobody is able to predict. Like a servant who doesn't know when his master will be back to check on him, like a sheep who doesn't know when the shepherd will return, Jesus told his disciples that we can't prepare for him to return at a certain time. Instead, he instructed them to be ready for his return at all times. Our Savior made a promise. The dawn is coming. And our teacher gave us a warning. Are you ready? Oh, am I ready? I have been pumped about this series for several weeks now and uh, excited to bring uh, the Word of God to you from out of Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, this series, you might want to kind of brace yourself for what lies ahead. We're going to be asking some pretty big questions over the next few weeks, and I want you to understand the context. When you go through what we as a nation and world have gone through over the last two and a half years, for those of you that have tried to understand and interpret the times and, and try to put it in light of what you may know about biblical prophecy, it naturally leads to the question is, is Jesus coming back soon? Is this now? And so one of the things that we could do in this series is, is get into all the deep eschatology, you know, which is the study of end times. Uh, but we're actually going to go to where Jesus aims us um, in light of these end times that affects our life. When you read what Jesus says and what we're going to see in, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and where you, what you see in other biblical texts that we'll be pulling from into this series, you're going to notice that when it talks about the life of Jesus and his return, it refers to it as the day. As the day. And so it's best to be expected. Now, the ushers were supposed to come in about 20 seconds. They beat me a little bit, but this is okay because they're expectant and ready. Uh, so if you want to go ahead, the Bibles are being passed out. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And, uh, and, and we're going to also be in 1 Thessalonians 5, which is more towards the back of the New Testament. Um, but what we're doing here is we're going to look at when Jesus says, and all the writers of the New Testament also refer to, that his coming is going to happen on this great day, the day. What should we do to prepare for such a day? That day could be today. Or it could be tomorrow. We just know it wasn't yesterday. And so the day requires preparation. Now, like anything else, if you know that there is a day that you are looking forward to, like for instance, as a child, I remember the day that I would most likely be a morning person would be Christmas morning. Because typically I would sleep in late. I was not a great morning person, but Christmas morning 
was different. That was a day of anticipation where I actually would wake up ahead of the sunrise. Any other day, not so much. But that day I would get up and, and, and get there because I wanted to experience that day. If you want to see a sunrise and you want to see it before it happens, so there's a special day and you want to see it, you're going to want to do all the preparations possible to make that happen. Now, I'm a part of a life group, and, and I have developed some strong friendships and relationships within my life group. Uh, there's four couples, and uh, we're getting to know each other, and one of those couples has a, a, a cabin up in the Adirondacks, and the, the father's name is Jeff, and the son's name is Andrew, and they are taking on the challenge of hiking the 46 peaks of the Adirondacks. You ever heard of that? All right, so 46 peaks, and there's, off, there's this kind of a challenge that's out there. If you hike all 46, that you can then get a T-shirt. I don't know, maybe you get a key to the city or something. I don't know. But anyway, it's a challenge that they're taking on as a father and son. And, and they were 23 peaks through, and they said that they were going on Labor Day weekend to do three more peaks, but the highest of the 46 was going to be that weekend. And they said that they wanted to get to that highest peak, before sunrise and watch the sunrise up there. So I asked some questions like, what do you do to prepare for such a hike? And, uh, and they would tell me of the things and, that they would, were doing. And, and then they said, you know, we can only carry like 30 grams of weight. And I mean, as soon as they use grams, I'm like, yeah, you're on a totally different wavelength of thinking than I am. But, you know, most of it's water and so on. And then I had the natural question like, well, what about the bears? And this is the one thing that when Jeff uh, looked at me, he said, he looked at me, he goes, I, I've really not really thought about the bears. And so I was like, well, you should probably have some bear spray or something. And, you know, and then he began to consider it. And I was like, okay, I've contributed now. So they're more prepared for their hike. But here's the question that I, that, that I was so shocked about the answer. I said, what time are you going to have to get up to be able then to drive to that base, to be able to hike up, and beat the sunrise and be on that highest peak. And he said, oh, probably about 1 a.m. Like, yeah, I'm out on that one. Like, <laughs> I'm not even going to invite myself on this trip. I might do that on other trips, but not that one. Uh, but they had an elaborate plan because they knew that the sunrise was going to happen at a certain time, and they had all these preparations that were being made so that they could see that sunrise, the day. Well, I would say that when you expect something as the sun rising and you have to make all those preparations, you're getting closer to the intent of how Jesus expects us to live each day. That we are anticipating the rising of the sun, expecting that the day could be today. And so therefore you have all the preparations ready for such a moment. We're going to begin by this series by looking at the actual telling that, yes, the Bible says Jesus is coming back. And that there is an expectancy that, that we should carry in light of that return. So we're going to begin with 1 Thessalonians 5. And we're going to read verses 1 to 11. So it says this. Now, brothers and sisters, about dates and times, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains 
on a pregnant woman, and, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fa- as in fact you are doing. Now, if you were to read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you're going to notice there's a lot of thought being put into this idea of the return of Christ. There are some historians that believe that there's evidences that the church of Thessalonica had become that church that they were so excited about the return of Christ that they, were, they had sold everything and were living on a hill waiting for his return. Now, we've had that happen where people think the apocalypse is going to happen and, and they sell everything and they go up on the hill dancing, waiting for something to happen, only to see it does not. So what we see here is that there's a, 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 a new direction being given to this church because they were approaching this return in such a way that they kind of stopped living. They were excited about the return, which was good, but there was still life to do in preparation for such a day. So under that context, we have to understand that when he says this, yes, the return of Christ will happen like a thief in the night. You didn't know he was coming. You didn't know what night. You didn't even know that there was an announcement to it. But for many, it's going to come like a thief. But he says here, this day should not surprise you. This day should not surprise you. He says for those that that get surprised is like somebody that has sudden labor pains and wonder like what's going on. When for months they've known that there was a coming child. Now think about this. This is a good analogy that Paul brings into this. When you know that you're having a child come, and if some of you, 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 you had children a long time ago, but let me draw you back in time a little. For others of you, you just had children, um, or it's more recent. Some of you, you have not had children yet. But this will be helpful to all people. If you know you're going to have a child, and you know that date is coming, but you don't know what day it's going to be or what hour. So similar to the return of Christ, we don't know day or hour. But if you know you're going to have a child, you put the car seat in the car. Then you pack a bag. And in that bag, you're putting all the things you might need for a sudden transition to the hospital. And you want to make sure that you have things to wear leaving that hospital. Now, most of these things that are in that bag are related to both baby and mom. I would recommend that fathers take an extra shirt to put in that bag as well. Because when my wife gave birth to our firstborn daughter, when she was pushing my daughter out, 
she grabbed a hold of my shirt, grabbed so tightly that when it was all done, I had this horn on the front of my shirt. <laughs> so I go out to tell the family members that are in the waiting room, waiting for this child. I come out and say, we had a baby girl, and all I got was, what happened to your shirt? <laughs> so you might want to take an extra T-shirt along for dad as well. But the point is, if you know a baby's coming, that car is going to be ready. It's going to have a car seat. You're going to have a backpack. And you're also going to have a bedroom ready back home so that when you leave the hospital, you're able to go right in and have a very settled nest for that child. Right? Could you imagine that you have been expecting this child all the way through and you don't have any of those details ready and you take off for the hospital? Would you imagine that there would be a little bit of panic and concern? Oh, we didn't pack our bags. Oh, we don't have a car seat. The next thing you know, you're like trying to figure out logistics. You should be focused in on the fact that child is coming. And now it's no longer about the joy of it coming. You're panicked that you're not even ready for that child to come. I had a friend that was kind of like that, that just always flew by the seat of the pants, that even with the coming of their child, they thought, we don't need to really worry about, we'll wait till it gets closer. Well, child came a little sooner than expected. They had nothing prepared. So they're calling friends. Hey, we need you to go back to our house, get this car seat, bring it to the hospital. Oh, we don't have our backpack. Can you bring my wife's stuff? It's in this drawer, this drawer, and this drawer. Can you imagine doing that for a friend? I mean, it's like you're going to do it, but it's like this is, this is a little intimate, right? You're, you're getting into their drawers, so you're getting into their house, and, and you're providing all these things for them. But that's what happens when you're not prepared. Jesus' is coming is like the person who knows a child is coming and has everything prepared so that all that they are worried about between now and that coming of that child is just talking about it, being celebratory about it, anticipating it, saying how often to people that would ask, well, what's your due date? And just being able to answer with a smile. And being able to anticipate what things might be once that child comes. Those are exciting things. But if you are not prepared, that day will be a day of panic. And you're also not excited necessarily. Oh, don't let it be today because we're not ready. See the difference between the spirit of the person who's prepared versus the one unprepared. Even for something as exciting as a coming of a child. True to that. The most important thing we can gather from Scripture about the coming of Jesus Christ is being prepared always for his return. It's not so much about trying to answer all the fun questions about when he will come. Because that's, that's a part of eschatology is answering all those questions. Is he coming after the millennial, which we, we would call all millennialism? Or, or is he coming before the millennial uh, period? And, and that's premillennialism. Or is he coming before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation, which we call pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? And I've just confused a lot of you in the room, and that's okay. Because I'm not going to answer those questions. Those are great discussions, and they need to be known and studied, and, and that's what we do in classes and opportunities, and we provide various things, and we even provide the gateway program here at our church where we study the various articles of our beliefs here, including eschatology. 
The most important thing we can gain from all the study is knowing that Jesus is coming back, and we must be prepared always. In the EFCA, Statement of Faith, that's the Evangelical Free Church of America, we hold that there are ten things that we feel are essentials in knowing and understanding as believers and being members of this church. These essentials we think are so important, so essential that we're even willing to divide over them. We're willing to divide from people that would disagree with these issues. Article number nine, again, one of the essentials that we think are worth dividing over. There's much in scripture that we recognize people can land in different places. And we'll say those are the non-essentials. We won't divide over those issues, but we'll debate and we'll talk through those issues. But article number nine that we say is a part of our essentials is this. We believe in the personal bodily and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy. And as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. That's the movement you sit a part of today. We believe that the coming of Christ is known only to him and we're to anticipate it. And by that expectancy, it should motivate us to live for God so that we are glorifying him when he returns and that we are serving him when he returns, which we know will please him, which then also means it will lead to energetic mission, that we're on mission with him when he returns. So we are not going to answer the questions when now, but we can study those things later. But we are going to answer how we live in light of the idea that the day could be today. So having said that, can we pray and ask for God to work in our hearts and to teach us in the weeks ahead? Let's pray. So Father God, in this moment I ask that your Holy Spirit would bring to our hearts understanding that can be applied an energetic mission, as what our statement of faith says, that we would live out for you because we know you could come anytime and we're always prepared. And that we don't panic that you would return or that we would be horrified at your return because we've been living as if it could be today for days and days and months and weeks. We pray this all in Jesus' name and to your glory. Amen. Amen. Matthew 25. Let's turn there and let's begin in this text. Again, Matthew 24 and 25 are the words of Jesus. So if you have a red letter edition in your Bible, you're going to see the words written in red. And we're going to start with the beginning of Matthew 25 before we go to Matthew 24. Then we'll go to Matthew 24 in the weeks ahead and we'll end with the last part of Matthew 25. Now you might ask, why are we starting in the middle of this? Because I believe that the majority of believers in America and the American church, which we are a part of right here, that the majority of us do not live with anticipation of his return because we see life here as home. Life is good being an American. Now, I don't, I'm not happy about a lot of things that's going on in America, but I am thankful to be an American. I am grateful to be a citizen of this country. I'm grateful to live here. I've traveled enough in the world to know how blessed we are. But there comes a problem with that blessing. 
that we, we will then settle and feel like this is our home. When Jesus says clearly that when you become part of his family, we're merely aliens and strangers here on this earth, and home is heaven with him. And when we have the mindset that this is merely a temporary residence, then our anticipation and our expectancy of his return is received with delight, not with eh, ambivalence or please don't come. Please don't come now. So in this, Jesus speaks to the issue, I believe very well, at the beginning of Matthew 25, to help us understand, okay, he's coming back, they know he's coming back, and he says, you know, there's a problem that's going to arise within the church, and that is that you're not prepared for him to come back when he actually comes. So we're going to begin there, and then we'll go into Matthew 24. So today, verses 1 to 11, Matthew 25, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who, look, who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So what we have here in this text is that Jesus acknowledges that there's going to be a length of time before he returns. And during that length of time, the church is going to struggle. Part of us will always be ready and, and, and waiting and prepared. And when he comes, it's good. And we're good with that. But there's going to be a portion of the church that's just not going to be ready. And what's interesting is that this text suggests that the people that were not ready likely were not even believers themselves. They were thinking they were part of the church. This ties to something Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that there will be people that will be, think they're sheep or act like they're sheep, but they're actually wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're going to come before God and, and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I, I don't even know you. So there's a portion of the church that all identifies as being church, but not all of them are really a part of the church. Jesus, in that same text, in the Sermon on the Mount says, you'll know those who are really a part of the church, the true followers of me, by the fruit of their lives. So what I would suggest is that part of the fruit that Jesus is speaking about are that those who live their lives with some level of expectancy that he could come 
any time, that the day could be today or tomorrow, that the fruit of such a person is somebody who's evidently truly walking with Jesus, the true followers. So this text has a little bit of a horrifying part to it, that those who aren't living prepared and the thief in the night that is being spoken about by Paul happens as a surprise. But to the church, the true church, it's not a surprise. It's an expected coming. So in this, his return then requires knowing about and preparing for his arrival. This text, if you're invited to a wedding, you're going to know about it. It's an announcement. And so you know about it and you prepare for it. But in this particular uh, parable, it's helpful to understand how a first century person would have received this story. Because at that point in time, this storyline follows a very traditional Middle Eastern wedding ceremony. Where on day one, the ceremony happens where groom and bride marry typically in an outdoor venue. And that outdoor venue often was by water sources like a stream or a river or a creek. And then after the ceremony, where they go for the reception is to the bride's father's home. So you've got this situation that ceremonies happen, then they go to the bride's father's home. Now, the length of the celebration at the bride's father's home depends on whether or not this was a first marriage. So if it was a virgin getting married, then this was a seven-day celebration. If it was a widow getting married or somehow somebody that they knew was not a virgin, I don't know how they did all that, but that's not for us to worry about. Uh, but anyway, it would only be a three-day celebration. Okay, so... This is referring to a seven-day celebration where a virgin's marrying a groom. So ceremonies happen outdoors. They then transition from that location to the father of the bride's home. And the celebration for up to seven days begins. Now, what's interesting and what we don't do here is typically after the reception that evening, bride and groom take off and they have their special night. In this situation, special night doesn't happen until day seven. How do you think that would go over in America? Not too good, right? So in this case, celebration, day one, two, three, four, five, and six. On seventh day, they transition the crowd to the groom's house. And at the groom's home, then they, they begin to prepare for a big celebration because now, after it was the bride's entrance on the first day, this is the groom's entrance. This is his house. This is where he takes her to be his bride. And they begin to have the relationship in that household. So the groom is then allowed to show up at his leisure. All right? So it can be any time in that evening. So even if to the point of daybreak. So part of the tradition, though, is that upon his coming, and they say he, we can see him afar off, they want to have a grand entrance into the home. So often you have a home in the center of a courtyard, and the courtyard has a gate. So they would be standing outside the gate so that the crowd, which is in the courtyard, can receive the groom. But there is a group outside the gate with these lamps or torches that are creating the big fanfare for the arrival. 
Those torches were often wrapped with some sort of cloth, and they was dipped in oil, and so they had burned. And as time goes on, the light gets dimmer and dimmer as more of that cloth material has been consumed. So when the, it says here, it says that when the cry came out, the bridegroom is coming, they trimmed their torches or their lamps. So that takes away the burnt part of the material, and it's all fresh material, and they add oil, and then it becomes brighter again. So the groom is now coming. And so the people on the outside of this gate, in this case it refers to ten virgins, are now supposed to have their torches at their brightest point. Because here comes the groom. Well, here's the challenge. If you presume upon the groom that he's coming at the beginning of the evening, then you are not going to have enough oil if he comes at daybreak or in the middle of the night. So in this storyline, what you see is that some foolishly just thought, ah, he'll show up right at the beginning and it'll be fine. So they basically, if you will, like the, the church of Thessalonica, sold everything and they just quit going forward. They did not prepare for what length of time it might be. But in this case, in the story, Jesus has the groom showing up at midnight. Half of the, the, the virgins were prepared with their lamps. The other half had to go get more oil. They asked, well, can we borrow some of your oil? And in this case, it was like, no. If we give you some of ours, then ours will run out. You're going to have to go buy your own. It's kind of like that couple that, that I said were not prepared for their baby coming, and they had to call all their friends. Can you do this for us? Can you do this for us? Which was fine, but it meant a lot more stress for them in the coming of that child. We were willing to serve, but in this case, not possible. You cannot make for someone else their readiness. You can only speak to it. You can only guide them to it. But you cannot make their heart and their mind be ready. That is something they have to own. So they had to leave, but they could not come back quick enough to do their role. Then, hence it says, the door was shut and they're told, truly, I tell you, I don't even know you. So we have to know about the ceremony for sure. But then our role and our participation in it is to know that when his return comes, that we are prepared regardless of whether it comes on the front side or back side. So in this, it requires about knowing and being prepared always and expectant so that wherever the time is, it just happens. But then here's the next part that I think we can learn from this parable. This parable speaks that the return of Christ is meant to be something we get excited about. That it's a celebration. It's not something we look upon and it's like, oh, I hope it doesn't happen now. Or, or that it's a horrifying experience. Because it says in that text that when some come, it says in that First Thessalonians text, that some are going to look at it as like, it's like a thief coming and taking from us. It's going to be a devastating night for the unprepared. But for those who are prepared, it's like, it's the day. It's today is the day. And so we look upon it with celebration. Now, it's not to say that there aren't things we look forward to here on this earth, and we don't, you know, and we, and we can't look forward to those things. No, I, I think in Ecclesiastes 8.10, it says, no, we can look forward to things here on this earth. And we can look forward to things with joy. There's meant to be joy here on this earth. But it's also true, this is not our home. 
This is not our home. So we look forward with joy and anticipation of when that day happens, when we get brought by Jesus himself to our eternal home. And so it's a point of celebration. Now, I confessed to this church a few years ago when talking about a similar text that I had a nightmare happen to me. And I don't normally have dreams that cause me fear or wake up in a sweat, but this one did. I'm, I'm being very honest. I woke up in a sweat because I just dreamed that I'd gotten married and we were driving to the hotel and the horn blew that Jesus was coming back before I got to the hotel. If you believe in the true reality of the coming of Jesus, that moment horrified me. I woke up saying, no! Give me five hours, that's all I need. Before it gets awkward, I'll stop there. Maybe I'm already making it awkward for some of you. The point is, we don't know when he's going to come back. Doesn't mean the fact that when we anticipate the day and we're expecting it, that there aren't things here on this earth we can't look forward to. I just talked about giving birth to a child. That's something to look forward to. Some people are getting married. They're engaged. Those are things to look forward to. There are things that, that we have planned, and those things are looking forward. It's good to look forward to those things. But if those things are always what's upon your mind at the cost of being excited that today could be the day, then we have made this our home with no anticipation of the home. And you have to ask yourself, in light of this text, if there is no desire for the coming of Jesus, and there is no anticipation of the coming of Jesus, do you love Jesus? The answer to that question is really important. Do you love Jesus? Is he the purpose and leader of your life, as he says, those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, the leader of their life, are the ones who are saved? So the celebration is to be there. So that when that day happens and the horn blows, it's like, yes, yes, because we're prepared. The bag is packed. We can't take anything with us. But the analogy of that child coming, it's like, the car was ready. It can happen now. It's good. It's good. Secondly, thirdly, what we learn from this parable is not only that we have to know that he's coming back and that there is an expectancy that, that Jesus is wanting us to have and that, yes, there is a celebration that should be a part of it. We should be anticipating it with excitement. But we also have to acknowledge that he has got a timing that's not ours. There's an itinerary of his return that is submitted to us without a starting time. If we knew exactly the time of Jesus' return, and let's say that that return is, let's say, the year 2050-something, many of you know I'm not even going to be alive in that time. So how would you live? Probably with no sense of urgency or expectancy, right? If you knew the time was in a year from now, you might get serious about it within a couple months of it. The point is, Jesus understands how we're made because he made us. He knows that by keeping the, the timing of his return out of it causes us to live 
more expectantly and with purpose and mission always versus giving us a time and we procrastinate till the end. So the itinerary is returned. Even Jesus says only the Father knows that day or hour. So, but for him, the whole point of waiting and it going long, as he says here, it's going to be a long time. And so we got to be prepared for the length of time. You have to ask yourself, well, why is it taking so long? Why isn't it taking so, why is it taking so long? I mean, think about those who lived during the time of World War II. You have somebody that looks like the figure of the Antichrist and Hitler that's doing all kinds of horrific things. The whole world is at war. Everything is going poorly. The economy of our nations were not good going into that time. Do you think people were thinking this is the time Jesus could come? Yes. And there's writings to that truth. So why is it that it's still not happened yet? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 answers that very question. It's going to be on the screen. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the answer is quite simple. For every day that the Father waits to send Jesus back is another day for more people to come into relationship with Jesus Christ, to repent of their sins, and then look forward with expectancy to life eternal with the Father God and the Son, Jesus Christ. Every day he waits, more get experience that. So if his return, if his return is connected to that, then you know what's most valuable to Jesus, right? You know what's most valuable to Jesus. So what was his final charge to his disciples? The Great Commission. The Great Commission said, go into all the world, making disciples of me, which means making disciples or followers of him, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all I have taught you. It's Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. So the commission, the mission that we're on as a church. So what's rooted in that? What's rooted in that is that until he comes back, we should be about his mission, which is making followers of Jesus Christ. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not in any other name. And teaching everything he's taught us. That's the mission of LEFC. We state that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We also say that a disciple looks like Jesus. And, and how do we define that and make it simple for all of us to remember? That we look like Jesus when we love God, we love people, we live truth, and we proclaim Jesus. Because that's what Jesus was about. He was about the love of the Father. And he did everything he did, including giving up his life for people because he loved them. And then he taught us so many things so how we can live life with true joy, with true truth, that we then can live not in horror of a coming of, of the Son of God, but with delight at the coming of the Son of God because we know the truth. And all these things that we know and we get a love on, is something we get to proclaim 
and tell others about. That's the calling of the church. That's why it's one of the essentials, is that we have to teach that Jesus could come back anytime. And when he comes back, it's when he's decided, I have now all that I intend to have in my family. But until then, I don't want anybody to perish, so I wait. I wait so that more can come into the kingdom. So as he waits, and we might consider it slow, what do we do in the meantime? Well, the fourth thing that I think that we learn from this text today out of Matthew 25 is that what you are doing when he returns matters. What you're doing when he returns matters. Not that you're scrambling because you were unprepared and you got to go buy oil or go get the things necessary. Oh, it's like, oh my goodness, he's coming today. I need to go tell somebody about him. Too late. Too late. When Jesus returns, you do not have in that moment the opportunity to go tell somebody that you failed to tell. Or if you're somebody that knew about the truths of these things, but you deny the truth, and Jesus returns, and all of a sudden the church is with him, it's also too late in that moment to say, oh, take me too. Now, there's much to learn about all of that, but the key point in this is Jesus desires people to live in such a way that when he comes back, they are prepared and ready, and they are delighted to see him. They don't hold the hand back and say, not yet, not yet. Luke 9, 35 to 40 says this, and it'll be on the screen. This is Jesus also speaking. He says, be rest, dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. will have them recline at the table and will have them come and wait on them. But it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus He's coming back. And I want this church and the people who hear this message to not be surprised, to not be in horror, to not panic, but to open their arms and say, I'm coming. I'm coming. The final point of this message is not going to be said by me. It's going to be sung to you. It's a song I heard this summer that I can't get enough of. But I believe it speaks the message that this is really about today. It's asking the question, are you ready? Jesus is coming. And this is something that we can get find hope in today. Because if we're ready, 
then joy is found every morning that we wake up because we don't have to fear his return. Jesus is coming back. And you cannot sit hearing the song. It is the final point of the message. You may not even know the song, but I want you to stand. I want you to receive from this team this, these words over you. Receive this song. Let the energy rise within you that Jesus is coming back. Receive the truths of it. And if you can begin to sing it with us, great. Enjoy it. Participate with us. Because I'm going to be backstage singing with the mic off for your sake. And I'm going to be singing backstage these words too because I want to see Jesus come. I want to see Jesus come. But I have to ask you, are you ready? Would you stand, please, to receive this song? Coming back, Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? 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 Are
See, I got to dance back there because you couldn't watch anything. And so I felt very free. And, uh, but man, he's coming back. And it's something to anticipate. It's something to be excited about. We don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime. Does not matter. But if Jesus says, the reason why I've not come yet is so that more can know about him, then we know what he wants to find us doing, right? He knows what he wants to find us doing. And that is living out the gospel in our lives and then giving reason for why we're living the way we're living. So it's both in word and deed. Both in word and deed, people find out about Jesus. If you came into this room today and you're like, wow, I just ran into something I've never heard before, whatever, we'd love to talk with you. We'll have people in the encounter room. They'll be glad to talk with you. I'll be up front. We want to talk about Jesus. We want to talk about that return. For the rest of you that know Jesus, you've lived in the church, and you're like, yeah, I haven't really even given thought about his return in maybe ever. Let this sow a new seed in you. Sow a new seed in you. A new fruit begins to bear up. That it's like, you know what? I do not take today as a given. We don't know when our death may happen, let alone the coming of Jesus. And so we've always got to be prepared that today is our last day. It's whether by taken from Jesus, by Jesus into the air, or we die our final breath. But we're ready. The day could be today. Could be tomorrow. Could be years from now. But we live always in preparation. And then we don't have to panic. We don't have to panic. And there's more joy in the day when you're not fearful of a return because you're ready. So church, you've been charged. Now it's up to you as to what you take with this. These are the words of Jesus, not my own. So we receive it from him as the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? Amen. You are dismissed. Go and enjoy this day. And by the way, there's baptism afterwards. Outside, please join us if you wish.